Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. That was an excellent rendition of our scripture reading uh, today. This story that we are considering is about an encounter between Jesus and a wealthy man. And through their exchange and their interaction, we get a glimpse of some of the challenges facing those who have money and who have wealth. And Jesus kind of summarizes the issue, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Money is a touchy subject. It's especially touchy to talk about money in a suburban setting like we are in, where for the most part, in general, people are wealthy relative to most others in the world. And so this passage and topic may be a bit disruptive to us. It might mess with us a bit because many of us, most of us are relatively rich and we qualify as wealthy uh, in terms of uh, the rest of the world. And so we are, have a lot in common with the guy in this story. Money's also a touchy subject, however, because one of the most common uh, criticisms leveled against churches, and it is a legitimate criticism, and it's given by those without and within the church, is that churches are always talking about money and they're always asking people for money. And if you're new to Oak Hills, or if you're here for the first time, this is always the case when we do something like this. Someone shows up for the first time and go, there they go, they're doing what everybody else does. Your perception, if you have such a perception, will be confirmed today because we are going to talk about uh, this difficult subject. But we want to do so graciously. We want to try to wade into this gently as well as directly. But we simply cannot avoid this topic because uh, if you've been here for a few weeks so far, throughout this series, we've been grappling with tough topics and how to live out Jesus's ethics in that tough topic in the midst of today's chaotic culture. And money is obviously a central issue in today's world. And it is obviously something that matters. And money is a kingdom issue for those who profess to be kingdom citizens. How do Christ followers demonstrate Jesus' kingdom way with their money and with their wealth? How do we live in this affluent community in a manner that reflects, advertises, and demonstrates the goodness of God's kingdom. The story from Mark's gospel is sometimes referenced uh, when this subject comes up because it deals directly with the spiritual risks of money and the spiritual risks of wealth. So here's the story. One day a wealthy guy ran up to Jesus. He fell down to his knees in desperation And he asked Jesus, what do I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? And I'm struck by this right out of the gate. Whatever wealth this guy had, it did not settle the stirrings in his inner life. This guy was troubled in his spirit. His money did not quiet his inner restlessness. And money never quiets inner restlessness. So Jesus answers his question by telling him to obey the Ten Commandments. But if you noticed... 
when the commandments were listed, he specifies which ones. Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, defraud, and honor your father and mother. Kind of the love your neighbor half of the Ten Commandments, or if you want to think of it this way, the back half of the Ten Commandments. Jesus says nothing yet about the first half of the Ten Commandments. The guy responds, teacher, a significant way to address Jesus. Teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And then verses 21 and 22, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I've had conversations now and then with those who hear a story like this or this actual story and they ask some version of this question. So are we supposed to sell everything we have and go give it to the poor? Is that what Jesus is teaching us in this particular story? And the answer is maybe. But my sense is people rarely ask this question honestly. Usually we ask this question because we're looking for a loophole so we can step around what seems like an incredibly intense and impossible teaching of Jesus. It goes something like this. He can't possibly mean we're to sell everything and give our money to the poor. So what's the loophole? What does he actually mean? So I want to back up for a second and point out what I think is a crucial and often overlooked Detail in this story. It's verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That just moves me to think about that. This is a wealthy guy who's desperately searching to quiet down his inner stirring and his inner longing. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is a guy who somehow had amassed a fortune. And we're told Jesus looked at him and loved him. There's no indication when he charged up to Jesus there was anything religious about him, that there was anything particularly sanctified about him, but we're told Jesus looked at him and he loved him. This is a guy who eventually decided Jesus really wasn't his teacher, even though, as we read, he addresses Jesus as teacher. He rejected Jesus' teaching on money and wealth. He walked away, we're told, sad because he could not part with his money. His wealth was more important to him than anything. In spite of what he thought he wanted, and remember, what he said he wanted was to do whatever necessary to inherit eternal life. What he really wanted was to preserve the life and status and wealth he had and inherit eternal life. But even so, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I think this is really important, especially on this topic. Love is the culture of the kingdom always. And when this subject, people bring a lot of guilt to it. They bring a lot of inner turmoil. Sometimes they bring this sense of burdensome duty. Sometimes they bring this sense of, well, if we give a little bit of money over here, it will calm down the restlessness and the guilt we have about having so much. Jesus was not touting an ideology here when he said, go and sell everything and give it to the poor, then come follow me. Meaning this, he was not making a new rule for every kingdom citizen to follow every single time without any need for discernment. Jesus was not into making new rules. He was not laying down a new law to be followed in every instance without discernment. What he was doing is what he always does. He had pulled up a chair to have a meaningful conversation with a real person who happened to be wealthy. 
And Jesus knew this man. He looked at him and loved him. He knew this man intimately. He knew his weaknesses. He knew his heart. He knew about the inner restlessness this guy had. And he knew, most importantly, that this guy's wealth was his God. So when Jesus told him to obey the back half of the Ten Commandments, the second part, it's because he knew this guy was not obeying the front half of the Ten Commandments, the first part. And that was going to be the collision point in this pull-up-a-chair conversation. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. You shall have no other gods before you. Do not make an idol out of anything. These were the first few of the Ten Commandments Jesus didn't mention, and this guy was not obeying. So Jesus comes around at the end and says, in effect, here's what you need to do. This is what you're lacking. Go shatter your idol, which means give away your money, and then come and follow me. And we're told here the guy walked away sad because his money was his God in spite of what he thought and in spite of what he claimed. And when Jesus saw the guy's face fall, and when he saw this guy walk away sad, the Bible says Jesus dove at his ankles and held on for dear life and said, please don't go. I didn't really mean sell everything. I know that's a tough teaching. Let's sit down. We'll order some sushi and we'll renegotiate the terms of the kingdom. He didn't say that. I hope you're following me. I'm kind of making that up. When Jesus saw the guy walk away, he let him go. Really important for us. He let the guy go. And he let the guy go because Jesus knows very well his teaching can be rather disruptive. And not everybody really wants it. And here's the amazing thing. Letting this guy walk away was the most loving thing Jesus could do for this guy. It encourages me to pause and realize, like this wealthy guy in our story, Jesus knows each one of us who's sitting here today, and he knows us intimately. And first of all, and above all else, he loves us. So he knows our heart toward money and toward wealth. And he loves us. And he wants what's best for us. And he invites us to allow him to be our teacher in the arena of money and in the arena of wealth. And in leading us toward the kingdom way in our money and wealth, he's actually leading us toward the best way. In leading us toward the, a kingdom ethic of how we use our money and how we use our wealth, he's not taking something away for us from us. He's actually freeing us up to experience a level of fullness and satisfaction and joy that we think holding on to our money is going to give us. But as is often the case, the upside-down reality is it's not holding on to it that brings the satisfaction. It's sacrificially giving it away. So let's talk about the threat for a moment. Money and wealth pose a legitimate threat to our souls because they so often promote a self-orientation, me first, and they so often provide a false sense of security. Money can become our God. 
We need to simply stare at this as well-to-do suburbanites. Pursuing money can harm our souls and hinder us from experiencing God and from experiencing the life He intends. Money is a potential idol we worship. And it's not as though we're going to be on our knees in our house bowing down to our checkbook or to our possessions. Money is a potential idol we worship and it will happen subtly and it may happen without our even knowing it. The Bible talks about money and wealth so much because it is such a threat to life with God. And one reason it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God is because entrance into the kingdom of God requires humility and it requires brokenness. And it requires this acute awareness of how desperately we need God. And yet, money often promotes the self and makes the self the center of everything. Money funds all the pleasures of the self. People whose lives are so full of material abundance, again, I want to draw us into this, like many of ours, often are far away from humility, brokenness, and desperation. We slowly buy into this lie that our money and our wealth are the result of our exceptional abilities and giftedness and work ethic. We see our money and we see our wealth as ours. This is a huge paradigm-shaping, life-shaping perspective. When we see our money and our wealth as ours, It will pull us down a particular road. But when we see it as gracious gifts from God, it will pull us down the kingdom road. It can be difficult for well-off people to work their way back to humility and brokenness and desperation. Another threat posed by money is it tempts us to trust it instead of God. This is the false security issue. We trust our bank account. We trust our retirement. We trust our 401k. And I've got to say, it's really hard to know how to sort through all this. I mean, it's easy to stand here and warn against trusting money instead of trusting God. But how do we know if we're doing that? How do we discern this? I mean, there's no easy formula that we can just plug in to determine if we're putting our trust in our annual income or if we're putting it in our 401k instead of God. And yet for kingdom citizens living in an affluent community, money and wealth are 100% spiritual issues. We really got to get this. Our financial lives are kingdom issues all the way through. Our financial security right now and in the future is 100% a kingdom issue. And one of the ways, I think, to sort through the complexity of all this and try to bring this out of this ethereal realm down into the concrete practical is for kingdom citizens to be more open with each other about their finances. I think we hide this area from each other. It becomes a private matter between me and God. And I don't know if this is wise. When I think of Julie's and my finances, I'll just tell you from my perspective, I don't trust myself. Because I will spin the narrative in our favor so I don't have to think much about whether or not we are stewarding our financial resources in a kingdom-honoring and God-glorifying way. Every single thing I do with our money, everything I buy, everything I spend, I will find a way to fit it 
into a kingdom perspective. I know how to do that. So anytime anything comes up and I'm struggling with it, I can find a way to just play this game with myself where I say, well, I think this is related to the kingdom because of fill in the blank. I know how to do that. Let me say it another way. I'm not able to objectively assess my own heart on these issues. I need other people's wisdom, people I trust, people who know me. I need their wisdom and their input and their discernment. And my sense is many of us seal this part of our lives off from other people. And we don't pull up a chair and we don't talk about our finances with our close and trusted friends. Rather, we post a kind of do not enter sign over our financial lives and we leave it over here as if it's not a spiritual issue. And our financial lives are 100% a kingdom Issue. Money is a threat to kingdom flourishing. So we need each other. The second thing I want to talk about is the opportunity. And I want to read from 1 Timothy, starting in chapter 6, or 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is one of those passages, because we live in affluence, many of us, it's one of those passages we should memorize. We should have it near us. Because it's powerful wisdom to those who have money and relative wealth. The money and wealth we have and the ability to make this money and wealth are gifts from God. He's entrusted these resources to us. And he's entrusted these resources to us so that we use them for his purposes and for his glory. So we are stewards, not of our money. We are stewards of God's money and of God's wealth. So we are like a house sitter who comes and watches and cares for the owner's home When the owner is gone, it's not our home. We're not free to do whatever we want to do with it. We're taking care of it until the owner gets home. Same with our money. As 1 Timothy says, we are to enjoy what God has entrusted to us. We're not talking about being a joy buster here. We are to enjoy the things that God has entrusted to us. And we're to be rich in good deeds, generous with our money, and willing to share. So this is the kingdom ethic when it comes to money. We're to generously invest our financial resources in kingdom work because the kingdom is the ultimate reality in this life and in the life to come. So when we participate in kingdom work, we experience the satisfaction of being involved in something that will matter forever. Jesus is king over all the universe. And Jesus is always at work, as he is right this very moment, bringing forth his redemptive and reconciling kingdom purposes. His greatest work, as we know, was living and teaching and dying and rising again. And when Jesus broke out of the grave and rose from the dead, it was the beginning of a new chapter in God's kingdom story. The power of sin and evil and death was defeated at the resurrection. It was a defining moment where God announced to the whole universe a new day has indeed dawned. And on that day Jesus broke out of the grave, a new power was unleashed to transform the world instead of death 
was life. Instead of hate was love. Instead of retaliation was reconciliation. Instead of greed and holding on was sacrificial giving. Instead of what's in this for me was how can I serve you? And on and on we could go. A vision of a new way of living. A vision of a new way of relating. And a vision of a new way of understanding money and wealth. And a vision of a new way of using money and wealth. And the church, both local and universal, both Oak Hills and the people of God everywhere. The church, and I say this without apology, hesitation, or qualification, the church is a major player in God's ongoing kingdom work in this world. Because the church, both universal and local, is to proclaim the new world and the new way of Jesus. So the church is a community of those called and commissioned, as we've been saying, to live out this new kingdom ethic in this world. And as we've said many times in this series and all uh, many times before, this is what we seek to be about at Oak Hills, both individually and as a church family, showing the world, advertising to the world who God is and what life in his kingdom is all about. And the kingdom ethic related to our money is something like sacrificially give it away. Invest it in kingdom work. We are to invest our resources in those endeavors that promote and proclaim the new world launched at the resurrection. And when we step back for just a second and consider the big picture of what God is doing in the world to bring forth his kingdom, to break in and show the goodness of his kingdom, to make things that are wrong right and things that are old new. When we step back and start feeling this, that the kingdom is about reconciliation and healing, it gets pretty compelling to realize he invites you and he invites me to join in his work by investing the resources he's given us and entrusted to us. I don't think we're trying to build an empire at Oak Hills Church. Let me say it this way. If we are trying to build an empire, we are not doing a very good job. I don't think we're trying to make a name for ourselves at Oak Hills. Here's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do it imperfectly and broken in broken ways. But here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people envision their lives, their loneliness, their discouragement, their past, their present, their future, their marriage, their family, their vocation, their issues with health, their losses in their life, their financial challenges, their anger, their fear, their insecurity from a kingdom perspective. We're trying to announce the good news of God's kingdom into the details of everyday life and into the details of everyday culture. I want to invite you to close your eyes for just a second. I'm going to keep talking, but just sit and listen or tune out either way. This is tricky stuff to talk about. This is all this slick TV preacher stuff that's just absolutely appalling. I don't want to go there. I'm trying not to go there. There's a lot of guilt around this, around money. I don't want to play that guilt card. 
Enjoying what we have is important. And sacrificial giving is important. Living out the kingdom ethic in our finances is important. And I gave some thought and I actually wrote down some practical ways that we can practice sacrificial giving. I'm not even going to mention them. I don't want to get that detailed. I don't want to get anywhere near this kind of, so now give to this and give to that, so I'm not going to. I was at Labu the other day. There was a guy in front of me at the register, and the person behind the register said to him, so how are you today? And the man in front of me said, I'm great. Today is the first day of my retirement. So every day is now Saturday. That's been echoing in my mind all week. More time, more space, more options, and an opportunity to seize the time and space and options to invest money and time and gifts and resources in kingdom work that will matter for all eternity. It's good for us to think about these things. Spirit of the living God, we're grateful to you that you give us guidance and stories from the life of Jesus that we can relate to and we can find ourselves in. And I simply pray today that you will continue, as Lisa prayed earlier, to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear, and to give us hearts that have the boldness and the courage to follow where you lead. And we pray this in your name. Amen.